Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com. This is Antiwar News for Monday, April 17th, 2023. All right, so I'm recording this on Sunday night. I got back today from West Virginia where I spoke at the Libertarian Party uh, State Convention there. Had a good time, met some cool people. Uh, but I didn't do any writing today, but we had a lot of help and we got quite a few things to go over here. So let's get started. The first story at the top of antiwar.com. U.S. officials says that U.S. smart bombs are failing in Ukraine. And this article is from Kyle Anzalone. So a high number of American smart bombs are failing to achieve their objective in Ukraine, a Pentagon official told Politico confirming information in documents leaked by Jack Teixeira. So this is one of the leaked documents that Kyle put in here about these smart bombs that are known as the Joint Direct Attack Munition Extended Range uh, bombs. And these were ordered to be sent to Ukraine by the White House late last year. In March, the Pentagon confirmed that the weapon was operational in Ukraine. And while the document leaked by Teixeira is undated, it shows that Ukraine fired these smart bombs on February 15th and the 21st. So this uh, JDM is a kit, actually, that attaches to unguided dumb bombs, upgrading the weapons into GPS-guided smart bombs with a range of over 50 miles. Last week, uh, so this document first surfaced on the internet last week. Actually, I guess they were posted for a while. Uh, but they didn't get attention until last week. And the document showed that four out of the nine of these JDAMs fired by Ukrainian pilots missed their targets due to Russian GPS jamming capabilities. The document says that other artillery systems such as the M270 and the HIMARS are also being impacted by Moscow's forces using GPS jamming. In response to the Russian tactics, the document recommends that Ukrainian forces destroy or disrupt the jammers to the maximum extent possible before using these uh, smart bombs. So a second issue causing these failures in Ukraine is inappropriately arming the munition. Politico reported an unnamed Pentagon official confirmed that in some cases the bomb fuses were not armed when they were released, causing the weapons to fail to detonate. The official claimed that the Ukrainian military put in place safeguards to prevent the mistake from repeating. So it's unclear how many of these smart bomb kits that the U.S. has sent to Ukraine the document notes that 1,000 arming lanyards were provided to Ukraine and Washington plans to send more soon, even though apparently they're not uh, working out too well. So and then he just mentions that Teixeira was arrested last week and charged under the Espionage Act. And I believe he faces up to 15 years in prison if he's convicted. He's only 21 years old. So that would be a long time uh, for him. So. uh you know, I don't have my hopes up. Hopefully he doesn't get convicted and sentenced to prison. But I mean, I think that they're going to throw the full book at him, unfortunately. All right. The next one here. After feared food shortage, the EU rift emerges over grain glut. This is also from Kyle Anzalone. So Poland and Hungary will pause imports of Ukrainian grain. The European Union's agricultural policies in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine have caused a glut of wheat in Central Europe, harming the region's farmers. So I guess they've just been producing 
a lot more grain because they were worried that they weren't going to be getting it from Ukraine. So on Saturday, Hungary's agriculture minister announced that Budapest would temporarily block imports of Ukrainian wheat and oil seeds until July 30th. In a separate statement, uh, the leader of Hungary's ruling law and justice party said, oh, sorry, this is um, this must be Poland because this official says that Warsaw would also halt grain imports from Kiev. The Polish ban extends to other food products such as beef and eggs. So Warsaw and Budapest made the decision in response to demands made by struggling farmers. Wheat prices in Central Europe dropped after a bumper crop and additional Ukrainian imports. The EU denounced the actions by Poland and Hungary as unacceptable, so they are not happy about this. Um, So after Russia invaded Ukraine last February, the EU lifted customs duties and quotas on Ukrainian grain imports. So they were just importing, I guess, as much as they could. And when that grain deal between Ukraine and Russia was agreed on, the grain started pouring in. And then you had the farmers, I guess, probably planted more. And uh, it's they're just dealing with this huge uh, supply now. Uh, all right. The next one here, Russia and Ukraine, they free POWs in an Orthodox Easter swap. So this is from Thomas Knapp. So Tom does our, he's our comment moderator. He's also a really good writer, and he wrote a couple news stories for us while I was off today. So Wagner Group founder Yegevny Prigozhin announced Sunday that he marked Orthodox Easter by ordering more than 100 Ukrainian POWs freed, and this is according to Reuters. Per the Associated Press, Ukrainian presidential advisor Andriy Yermak confirms the Easter prisoner swap. He said 130 Ukrainians and an unspecified number of Russian troops were on their way home. Yermak says the exchange includes fighters captured by both sides in the area around Bakhmut, where both regimes report an uptick in the tempo of fighting as of Sunday. Apparently, it's getting really, uh, you know, the fighting's continuing, but apparently over this weekend, it got really brutal. While neither side seems to have seriously considered an all-out Easter truce after Ukraine rejected Putin's proposed 36-hour Christmas truce, large prisoner exchanges are always a good sign that could uh, come before more wide-ranging negotiations. Putin celebrated Easter in midnight services at Moscow's Christ the Savior Cathedral, lauding the Moscow Patriarch's uh, charitable work in the face of serious challenges. And Easter celebrations in Ukraine were more subdued than in Moscow. Uh, There are reports that Russia bombed the church in the Zaporozhye Oblast. I know there is also reports that Ukrainian forces shelled a church in the Donbass. So no peace on Easter in Ukraine. Uh, The next one here, Russia completes Belarus pilots training on nuclear weapons use. So this is from Connor Freeman. So Belarusian Air Force crews have completed their training on the use of tactical nuclear weapons. The Russian Defense Ministry announced on Friday. The ministry released a video uh, featuring Belarusian pilot explaining that the Russian training course has enabled the crews manning the Belarusian Air Force's Su-25 ground attack jets to use tactical nuclear bombs. Russian President Vladimir Putin has said that the storage facilities for the weapons in Belarus will be built and ready for use by July 1st. Moscow is assisting Minsk uh, modernizing its aircraft to carry the weapons and has provided short-range Iskander missiles, which can fit such warheads as well. Russia began training Belarusian forces on the missiles earlier this month. 
So Putin emphasizes that the nuclear weapons will remain under the full control of Moscow, and he's compared it to NATO's nuclear sharing program. Under that program, American nuclear weapons are deployed in Germany, Italy, Belgium, Turkey, and the Netherlands. Russia's ambassador to Belarus, Boris Grislov, announced the weapons will be placed in western Belarus near the country's nearly 800-mile border with NATO members uh, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland. So uh, on Friday, Belarus's defense minister echoed uh, Lukashenko, the president's previous suggestion, that, that Moscow may deploy strategic as well as tactical nuclear weapons to the territory of Belarus. Strategic nuclear weapons can possess a yield of more than 1,000 kilotons, which is huge. The range of tactical nuclear weapons is between 0.3 and 170 kilotons. And for reference, the bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki had yields of 15 and 21 kilotons, respectively. Putin announced his decision to deploy the weapons to its ally after London provided Kiev with Challenger 2 tanks armed with depleted uranium munitions, which Russia views the same as a dirty bomb. Depleted uranium is highly radioactive and linked to cancer as well as birth defects. For instance, in Fallujah, the U.S. military's heavy use of such weapons during the Iraq war has led to leukemia rates, orders of magnitude worse than those recorded after the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima. So that's pretty, uh, shows the impact that these munitions can have. And the U.S. used a lot of them against Iraq in both uh, Iraq wars and the Gulf War and, you know, the invasion. All right. The next one here, Russia's Pacific Fleet conducts weapons tests. This is also from Connor Freeman. The Russian Navy's Pacific Fleet is set to carry out various weapons tests. And Russia's Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu announced this on Friday. Moscow's drills come amid heightened tensions in the region, as well as numerous large-scale war drills led by Washington and its allies. There's a lot of military drills going on all over the place right now. So the weapons tests and combat exercises are being described as an inspection of Moscow's Pacific fleet. Shoigu said, quote, the main objective of this inspection is to increase the ability of the armed forces to repeal, to repel the aggression of a probable enemy from the direction of ocean and sea, end quote. Forces, uh, so according to Chief of Staff General Valery Gerasimov, the Russian Navy will be put on high alert during the drills, and one of the primary goals of the exercises is ensuring the strategic nuclear submarines' combat readiness. Um, so again, lots of exercises going on in the Pacific and all over the place uh, that as tensions just remain high, the U.S. is going to do their nuclear drills. They're doing those big drills with the Philippines right now. So a lot going on. Uh, all right, the next one here is some, some good news. The Houthis and the Saudi-backed government in Yemen have completed a pretty major prisoner swap. So Yemen's Houthis and government forces on Sunday, this is from Middle East Eye, this article, they freed 90 prisoners as part of a wide prisoner exchange of nearly 900 detainees as the warring sides, as the warring sides move forward with measures to end the eight-year-old civil war. On the last day of a three-day exchange, planes carrying detainees took off at the same time from the Houthi-held capital of Sana'a and the government-controlled northern city of Marib. So, um, again, uh, they finished this, 900 detainees. It's pretty good. And then as far as the talks go, so they held um, 
those talks in Sanaa, they didn't come to a formal agreement, but there's going to be another round of talks. You know, they haven't agreed on the ceasefire yet, but both sides said that there was good progress. And now uh, Houthi officials are saying that the next round of talks with Saudi Arabia should start after the Eid al-Fitr holiday, which is expected. Uh, so they're expected to start on the 21st of April. And the last talks ended hours before 318 prisoners were transported on four flights on Friday between government-controlled Aden and Sanaa, reuniting detainees with their families. So hopefully, you know, more good news when it comes to the Yemen situation. Really hope that they agree on something soon so, you know, we don't have to worry about a potential flare-up because there still has been some reports of fighting on the ground there. All right, the next one here. Also from Middle East Eye, Saudi Arabia's crown prince meets senior U.S. officials amid independent policy streak. So President Biden's top advisor on the Middle East, Brett McGurk, and energy envoy Amos uh, Hochstein met with crown prince Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia this week as the kingdom pushes ahead with an independent foreign policy streak that has irritated Washington. Now, knowing McGurk, I bet he's really unhappy that it looks like they're going to normalize with Syria. McGurk actually resigned from the Trump administration. He was the Trump, Trump's envoy to the U.S.-led anti-ISIS coalition. And when Trump said he was going to pull out of Syria, McGurk resigned. Trump ended up, you know, not actually doing it. He backed down on the plans. Um, so the meeting was first reported by Axios. It comes two days after Jake Sullivan spoke with Mohammed bin Salman to discuss Yemen and Iran. Sullivan said that the U.S. welcomed Saudi Arabia's efforts to reach uh, a peace deal. Um, so it's not clear exactly what they talked about. Uh, Tim Lenderking, the, who is the U.S. special envoy for Yemen, he's over there and he also attended the meeting with MBS. And the visit by top officials comes amid signs of frustration in Washington over Saudi Arabia's independent foreign policy streak. And several days after U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham met with the he actually was just in Saudi Arabia and met with MBS. And he said, you know, we're going to really enhance relations with the Saudis. And they mentioned that when Bill Burns, the uh, CIA director, was just recently in Riyadh, he said that they felt the U.S. felt blindsided by Riyadh's efforts to restore ties with Iran and more recently, Syria. And I'm sure, again, McGurk, you know, he's not a good <laughs> he's not a good guy uh, to see, you know, going over there when Saudi Arabia is taking all these steps toward peace in the region. All right. The next one here. Also from Middle East Eye, we have a lot from them. Uh, U.S. lawmakers urge the EU to name the IRGC as a terrorist group. So a group of bipartisan U.S. lawmakers is calling on the European Union to designate Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terrorist organization. So they wrote a letter to uh, Joseph Burrell, who's the EU's foreign policy chief, basically their foreign minister. More than 130 members of the House, man, they're all so bad on Iran because uh, Trump designated the IRGC as a terrorist organization, which was really an unprecedented move because they're a country's military. And then Iran responded by, I think they designated some, maybe the U.S. Army as a terrorist organization. Um, but the thing is with these designations is that it opens up taking potential action against the military. And, you know, in another sign that 
tensions between the U.S. and Iran are not going to ease anytime soon. We have Congress telling the EU to also designate them as a terrorist organization. Uh, the next one here, uh, this is from AFP. Iran court jails 10 troops over the 2020 Ukraine jet downing. So Iran has sentenced 10 members of the armed forces to prison after finding them guilty of involvement in the downing of a Ukrainian airliner. So Iranian forces shot down Ukraine International Airlines flight PS752 shortly after its takeoff from Tehran on January 8, 2020, killing all 176 people on board. Most were Iranians and Canadians, including many dual nationals. Um, so a commander, so they really uh, have punished the Iranians responsible for this. The commander received the penalty of 10 years in prison. They said he defied orders in shooting down the plane. Nine other personnel were sentenced to between one and three years. So the commander of a Tor M1 surface-to-air missile fired two missiles at the airliner, contrary to orders and without obtaining authorization. So if you remember when this happened, January 8th, 2020, what happened two days before that, or no, five days before that, I think Soleimani, the Iranian general, was killed in a U.S. drone strike. I want to say January 3rd, but anyway, right around that time. And then Iran responded. They fired some missiles at a U.S. base. No U.S. troops were killed, but they were. Everybody was on edge. The tent, the region, uh, the tensions were just very high. And these Iranian military soldiers, I guess, they mistook this plane as they, they were looking for U.S. retaliation for the uh, missile strikes on the on the U.S. base in Iraq that they hit, and they shot down this plane. And uh, you know. If Trump didn't kill Soleimani, this never would have happened, really. And, you know, it reminds me of in 1988, I think, during the Iran-Iraq war, when the U.S. shot down an Iranian airliner, killed about 190 people that were on board. I don't think anybody was punished for that like this. They never really uh, formally apologized to Iran for that. So it's just interesting to see. All right, uh, the next one here. So there is a coup, it looks like, in Sudan. I'm not sure the details. I don't know too much about Sudan. I have to look into it more. But I know it's the two rival, you know, the de facto leader, um, the other rival military leader, uh, you know, kind of went against them. And they've been fighting. And there's been heavy fighting inside Sudan. And this is from the Washington Post. And according to the latest numbers, you know, there's fighting on Saturday and throughout Sunday. Uh, the death toll. Uh, has gone up of oh, the civilian death toll has ro risen to 74 and there's dozens more deaths among the military so it sounds like a few hundred people are dead in this in these battles that have been going on and um doesn't look like the fighting is going to uh stop uh you know it seems like they're really going at it now so fighting broke out on saturday morning in the horn of africa nation about after weeks of rising tensions between the Rapid Support Forces, which is a major paramilitary group led by Vice President Mohamed Hamdan Dagola, Dagalo, excuse me, and the military, which is headed by President Lieutenant General Abdel Fattah al Burhan. Uh, so th those are the two groups that are fighting. And the tensions have been brewing for a while. I know that. I'm not really sure of the causes. And again, I'm not too familiar with what's going on in Sudan, but I'll try to. Uh, figure it out 
uh, some more because it seems like this is going to be uh, going on for a while now. All right, uh, the next one here, U.S. and South Korea to begin large-scale war games this week. They're doing more. This is from Kyle Anzalone. Over 100 American and South Korean warplanes will take part in large-scale joint aerial war games. The military exercises come as North Korea warns of a realistic chance of nuclear war. On Monday, 1,400 soldiers will begin participating in the 12-day war games. The military aircraft will involve advanced fighter jets, such as the F-35 and F-16. Chief of Staff of the ROK Air Force Operations Command, Lee Baum Key, said, quote, through this exercise, we will be able to reaffirm the solid South Korea-U.S. alliance and further develop the combined operational capability to another level. Washington and Seoul have conducted a series of war games in recent weeks. In mid-March, the U.S. flew a B-1B bomber over the Korean Peninsula. And then they had their full Eagle War Games, and it was the largest live-fire military drill in South Korea in five years. In April, Washington conducted anti-submarine operations with Tokyo and Seoul. Shortly thereafter, the White House ordered a B-52 bomber to fly over the peninsula. Pyongyang has reciprocated with weapons testing. North Korea claimed that they successfully launched an underwater drone capable of creating a nuclear tsunami. Who knows really what the real story with that drone is. Uh, and an ICBM they tested as well. The U.S. and South Korea typically assert that the exercises are defensive. However, North Korea views the war games as preparation for regime change in Pyongyang. A recent article in North Korean state media said, quote, the U.S. and its followers should never forget the fact that their rival state has possessed the nuclear attack capability. The U.S. has parroted that the military drills with South Korea are defensive, but they can never conceal with such veils as defensive and routine their aggressive colors as provocateurs and the fact that their current exercise are a deliberate military action prompted by their sinister scheme to wreck peace and stability in the Korean Peninsula, end quote. So, um, you know, that just shows that these drills are going to provoke, you know, more North Korean missile launches and just ensure basically that tensions are going to remain high on the Korean peninsula. All right. The last one here, this is another one from Tom Knapp, French delegations to visit Taiwan. French state media reports that the country's parliament is set to send two delegations on visits to Taiwan this month. The trip looks a lot like a balancing act response to remarks by president Emmanuel Macron, who returned from a friendly visit with uh, China's president Xi Jinping last week. And if you remember that, what Macron said, he said that Europe should take its own positions on the Beijing-Taipei relationship instead of acting as mere followers to the U.S. and its South China Sea brinkmanship. Macron continues to stand by that position, saying, quote, being an ally does not mean being a vassal, end quote, while also noting that European policy on the issues involved has not changed. Um, so... Uh, two delegations in one month uh, is seems to be significant, and again, uh, it, it is probably you know to show that they're not uh, changing. Pol- I don't know, changing policy or or whatnot. Um, that, but Macron is still standing by the fact that he doesn't want to follow the U.S. into a conflict with China. Uh, but that's it for the news. Go check out our viewpoints. We have one from uh, Tom Knapp about 
the mainstream media turncoats on the national security leaks, just how you know New York Times, Washington Post were trying to identify the leaker, the alleged leaker, Jack Teixeira, and just how that all went down. And, you know, again, they're getting these nice scoops from him, but they just totally, you know, threw him under the bus. We have one from Ted Snyder, Saudi Arabia, when being neutral isn't neutral anymore. One from Caitlin Johnstone, the U.S. could use some separation of media and state. One from Peter Van Buren, how I spent a year losing hearts and minds in Iraq. That's over at Responsible Statecraft. And one from Matt Taibbi over at his sub stack, the crackdown cometh leaks for me, not for thee, about that situation with to share uh, that's everything for today um you could always support us at antiwar.com slash donate like and subscribe on youtube odyssey and rumble um i'm gonna be back tomorrow i'm gonna do lots and lots of writing and catching up on everything um but that is it for me for today hope everybody had a good weekend i'll talk to you tomorrow thanks for listening